So you have 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. You have the Gospel of John, and you have the book of Revelation. The Apostle John is the writer of these five. We just finished 1st John, chapter 5. Now I have this opportunity. So the <clears throat> title of the message is Truth, and just the significance of truth, if if I only do 15 minutes here, then I guess we'll jump over to 3 John and unstudied and we'll just have Don wing it because it's what he does. It's what he does. He will help me and we'll be fine. So this is Second John, little epistle, 13 verses. Father, we ask your blessing upon this time that we have together. Pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. Thank you, Lord, for the truth as revealed in your word. And pray, Father, that you would open up our eyes to see and hear the truth and what your spirit says in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Second John, the Bible says, The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, verse 2, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. So unlike, um, you know, another epistle where Paul would open up and say, Paul, the apostle, um, you know, grace and mercy, grace and peace. And what does he say? What are they all? Grace and truth, grace and mercy, whatever they are. Yeah, his greeting. Uh, Here we have the elder and, and the elder here specifically is the aged one. Believed, you know, John is, is, is an older man here writing this epistle. And you'll notice it's addressed to um, the lady, right? Our elect lady and her children. It's believed that the reason he did this was just the persecution that was coming upon the church and a, a way to be able to hide the names of these people so that if this letter did get out, then they wouldn't get indicted. They wouldn't get in trouble. They wouldn't be uh, killed for their faith, which many... At this time, uh, that's right what they're leading into. The, the age of Smyrna, the second church in the book of Revelation, and church history is about to come on the horizon. We're at about 95 AD right here at John's writing, and church of Smyrna starts at about 100 AD. And so they're anticipating with Caesar Nero uh, leading that the persecution is coming, and um, that's a reason why he titles himself as the elder, and her is uh, the elect lady. So whoever was running or um, in this home that had a church, a Bible study, kind of like Ron and Gabriella and what they do here, uh, same situation. A church meeting in their home and wants to make sure that you know, their identities are, are covered. Um, the elder is, is an interesting thing because the world looks at elder and elderly very different than, than God and the Bible. Uh, the world tends to shut down and shun people as they get older because it's a youth-obsessed society and culture where God looks at it entirely differently. He, he gives positive names to people who are older. He gives uh, positive uh, just outlooks on them that we, we should respect them, of course. Uh, the, Bible, the book of Timothy says we should respect our elders, but also we should put them in positions where we recognize that through the history of their life, they've learned something. They've gone through 
a lot more than people who just haven't. You can't deny uh, age and you can't deny history in the earth. And so in the church, we try to take that approach. We don't put people out to pasture. We don't, we don't uh, well, you know, this guy's getting a little slower. So, so therefore, let's just kick him to the curb and let's get, you know, a young buck in that can uh, just do it so much faster. It's not about how we do. Uh, it's not about what we do. It's about how we do what we do. And as, as it relates to those who get older within the church, those are individuals that we look up to. Those are individuals that we respect. And those are individuals that we want to esteem highly based on God and his word. So again, I think that John's elder, you know, in history, it is said that John, the apostle John, the, the apostle that was the only surviving apostle in the world would go into a church and they'd prop him up. They'd give him a chair and he would just sit there and he would just one word messages, you know, just love, be about love. And so again, how we look at the elderly and how we look at people who are aged, it's very, very different than how society does it. And I pray that in church, we wouldn't be accused of not showing the respect that we need to show to our elders. We see John quite focused on the idea of truth as he was in all of his writings. He used the word some 37 times in his New Testament writings. And so here he goes on and his greeting is grace mercy and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice, verse 4 says, greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we received the commandment from the Father. He repeats it in 3 John, verse 4. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. That's 3 John Verse 4. Both of these are just one chapter books. And as a pastor, man, talk about a joy. No greater joy than to see that your children, your children in the faith, your children that we give birth to, you know, our, our children that we have, no greater joy than to see that they walk in truth. I mean, when it's all said and done, we can sit there and boast and, and brag about a bunch of stuff, what they do for a living and how degreed they are and how accomplished and so on and so forth. But Bottom line, they're walking in the truth. That's where it's at, and that's what it's about. So he says, I have no greater joy. Verse 5, and now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which I have, that we have from the beginning, that we love one another. The integrity of the Christian life can be measured by our love for one another. So John's gospel, if you want to jump over there, just take notes. John 13 verse 35 Bible says by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another and then he had told us in 1st John chapter 4 <clears throat> verses 20 and 21 if someone says I love God and hates his brother he is a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen how can he love God whom he has not seen and this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. And so John is known as the romantic, you know, the disciple that Jesus loved. And I think we're all that disciple. It's just, do you sense that though? Are you in touch with that? Do you know that God loves you uniquely? That there's just something about 
you know, how the Lord loves, that is just so awesome. And if it's not the thing that you press into, the thing that you, um, the greatest thing that you've ever experienced, then man, I, I would wonder, you know, I would, I would question, what greater, what greater thing have you experienced? I remember I would tell my, my kids when I taught in high school, if you found anything better than Jesus, you gotta, you gotta let me in on it. You, you gotta make sure you come back and you gotta tell me. Because I know some of you are gonna leave from here, you're gonna experiment, you're gonna do all kinds of crazy things. You're gonna be looking for something to fill the void that's inside. But if you find it, come back and let me know. Because man, Jesus has just penetrated my heart. Now, nothing greater than that. Goes on in verse 6, this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the com commandment that you have heard from the beginning. You should walk in it. So we've been hearing that quite a bit with John. Um, see where I want to bring in these certain notes. Let's, let's keep reading in, as we get into the body here. Verse 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world who does not confess Jesus as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ as both the Father and the Son. We'll read all the way to 12. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he, greets, he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. And so the heart of the message that John is sharing with this elect lady and her children, as there is a church that's meeting within her home, is that they would hold fast to the truth, that they would maintain the doctrine, and that they would be careful not to invite individuals. And these would be um, traveling evangelists or prophets. So if any prophet came into town, any traveling evangelist came into town, you were supposed to show that person hospitality. And if you had a church, you'd give them, you know, the mic, if you will. And he's saying, somebody who's coming with false doctrine... Somebody who's coming with a lie where specifically we knew Gnosticism was starting to rise its ugly little head at this time in the church. And he says it over and over. Jesus came in the flesh. And if they don't believe that Jesus was human, then don't even receive him in your church. Don't let him speak. Don't give him the mic. Don't let him do that. And so that would seem the unloving thing where he's talking about nothing but love here. And so we need to recognize that though love is kind, if you were to read 1 Corinthians 13, right? Though love is kind and it is patient and it has all of these fruits, love rejoices in the truth. And so when we're rejoicing in something that's not true, that's not love. And so the balance of that, how Jesus was able to speak incredibly sobering words to the religious leaders of his time because they were steering people away from God instead of ushering them to God. Remember in Matthew chapter 23 when Jesus tells them, you guys take a proselyte and when you're done with him, you make him twice a son of hell than when you got him at the beginning. Jesus didn't look fondly upon that. 
And so I think we, in our desire to be gracious, sometimes we err on that grace and that love becomes something that's not really godly. We need to speak the truth. We need to be both about, bold about the truth. We need to make sure that we do it in love. But if somebody comes with a doctrine that is false, you're ushering people into potential hell with that, those doctrines of demons. And so I think it's very important for us to recognize that. All right, transgresses. The word transgresses has the idea of going beyond a boundary. We never go beyond the teaching of Jesus, of who he is and what he has done for us. Anyone who thinks we should we have or should go beyond what the Bible plainly says about Jesus, transgresses. And so you'll hear these groups come out, you'll hear these individuals come out, and I'm starting to see it a lot. Apostolic succession. I have succeeded the, apost- the apostles of the first century, and I have that same anointing, people would say, and so therefore my words are at par with the Bible, if not Above, because they're current words from God. That's just false. That's just false. God definitely has modern day apostles, but there are 12 thrones in heaven that will be for those 12 apostles. Those 12 apostles, like the 12 patriarchs in the nation of Israel, they have a unique place in church history. And so though the gift of apostleship is alive and well today, It's a very different gift than this idea of apostolic succession. And so when you hear that, run for the door. Nobody's words are above the words of the Bible. Nobody's words are above God's words. God is not, I use the term schizophrenic, but God is not confused about his thoughts. He says what he means, he means what he says. And Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How God relates through the law or dispensation of grace, that can be different. But God doesn't change. And so we need to be very careful with that. That's a very important point. So these words sound severe, but John has not lost his love. We must consider these three points. Number one. John is not talking about all error, but only error which masquerades as true Christianity. Number two, John is not talking about all who hold the error while masquerades as true Christianity, but about those who teach those errors which masquerade as true Christianity. And then number three, John is not talking about all teachers who err, but those who err in the most fundamental truths, and those are active in spreading those fundamental errors. And so he's, he's talking about a specific thing here. Somebody who has come to your church and has a doctrine that is different than what the Bible teaches and wants to proclaim and profess that doctrine. Reject that individual. Timothy would say, reject a divisive person at a second warning. So when you see division creeping in, when you see division being brought in, you confront, you know, Matthew 18. You warn again, reject. Okay? Don't play with that. That's not something to tiptoe around. That's not something to, 
sniff out and smell. Those are itching ears that we don't need scratched. So we need to be very sober when it comes to God's truth, the doctrines of salvation, the nature of God, all these different things that the Bible teaches that are essentials. It's not something to be played with. I've seen many go astray because of these false doctrines. For many deceivers have gone into the world who does not confess Jesus as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and N A N antichrist. So those are, yeah, those are individuals. So there was a spirit of antichrist we learned about when we studied sec, uh, First John. Okay, we talked about a spirit of antichrist, and then he went to the antichrist that is still coming on the scene. So an antichrist is not um, only against Christ, but somebody in the place of Christ. And we see a lot of that. People trying to come instead of, in the place of. Okay. My last note on this section. This does not mean that we should have nothing to do with those who are caught by the cults, as John indicates. We should make a distinction between those who teach these Christ-denying doctrines those who bring this doctrine, he said, and those who merely believe the doctrines without trying to spread them. And so some will use this verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. Remember, that was a church house. Okay, many a Jehovah's Witness has sat on my couch as I've gotten my Bible out and we've had discussions about the deity of Jesus Christ. That's always where I go. That's the first place I go. Let's not, let's not play around. Let's cut to the chase. There is salvation in one name. So who does the Bible teach that Jesus is? Because Watchtower doctrine teaches that he is a created being, a small God with a little g, as opposed to the God creator of the universe, as the Bible teaches. So I, just, I go straight for that. And generally speaking, you're just going to plant seeds maybe water seeds that have been planted. You're not probably going to convince somebody uh, on your doorstep or, or in your house. And so maybe some of you have had uh, better, <laughs> I don't know if you call it luck, or, or just better results with that. But, but as long as I've, I've had opportunities to talk to people, generally speaking, I'm planting seeds and watering seeds. And with Mormonism, Mormon uh, very different because same vocabulary, different dictionary. Same vocabulary. They'll use the same exact words we use. They just define them differently. But you don't know that. So you'll talk, wait, 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 wait. You, you, wait, hold up. Okay, do you believe? And you'll just begin naming doctrines. Say, yeah, absolutely we believe that. I'm like, well, that's not what I read in your literature and material and kingdom of the cults and so on and so forth. No, same vocabulary, different dictionary. And again, I don't think everybody's... Um, I think we're all called to be a light in this world. I, call, I think we're all called to be salt, but I don't think we're necessarily all called to go to those type of frontline apologetic kind of things. Some people, uh, I'm not that good at it, to be honest with you. <laughs> Some people are much better at it than others. So in verse 11, it says, For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. We are defined by what we reject as much as by what we accept. In this, some are so open-minded that they are empty-headed. It is wise to keep an open mind on many things, but one would never keep an open mind about which poisons a person might try. You may say yes to all the right things, 
but one must also say no to what is false and evil. We need to become good at rejecting what should be rejected. And so that's why it's important that we not only know what we believe, but we know why we believe what we believe. So when I taught in high school, we had this idea of linear thinking. And it was just, is this going to be on the test? That, that was the favorite high schooler's question. Is this going to be on the test? Why? They want to learn the facts to take the tests so they can walk out with a grade. I was much more intent on teaching them why we believe what we believe. And, and I taught all the Bible classes like apologetics, ethics, uh, understanding the times, um, other, IBS, inductive Bible study. So why we believe what we believe. You need to, in, in your own study time, know what the important doctrines are, but also what the Bible says about those things so that you can be fully convinced. Again, there's stuff out there where, where you know, you'll hear a subtle thing and it should ring, whoa, 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 counterfeit. I like the example that was used two weeks ago, I think right here in this section, somebody was saying it, where you know, the bank teller touches the real and that's all they look at and that's all they play with so that when the counterfeit comes on the horizon, whoa, whoa, I don't know, that just felt dear. Oh, I don't know. Oh, look, look at that color. That's not, even, that's not even dollar green right there, you know? They see. They're able to pick it up. We need to be familiar with the truth so when that counterfeit does come, we can recognize it for what it is. Last two verses, John's farewell. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, texting, Facebook. But I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. I think there's something to be said about being able to write a letter, send a text, send an email, write a post. I think there's something to be said about that. And it helps because it's an uninterrupted thought. You know, you text somebody and you're just able to, boop, 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 your thought, boop, 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 send. And they didn't interrupt. They didn't interject. You didn't see their sour face while you were speaking it or anything like that. But I think nothing like face-to-face. -face. Nothing like face-to-face. -face. Communication is 85% other. Other than the words that are flowing out of my mouth. It's inflection, it's, it's, you know, expression, it's gestures, it's all of that. So it's very important that as we communicate, we do it face to face. Something to be said about that. And I don't care what happens with technology and computers and robotics and all of that. You're never, ever going to be able to replace the face to face. So I think there's something to be said about that.